Our scripture for today comes from Matthew chapter 5, verses 31 and 32. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. This is the word of the Lord. So Megan and I did celebrate uh, 10 years of marriage last week, which was awesome. We got to go on a little trip together. Yeah, it's a miracle. Any marriage that makes it 10 years, absolute miracle. So as we were away together, I was reminded once again how important it is to nourish your marriage. And I know that that's not really a popular teaching in the culture that we live in. Uh, It really centers on our children and worshiping our children. But I'm reminded that I think that God calls us to pay particular care for for the marriage. And uh, anytime, whenever uh, I come up, you know, to Megan and show any type of affection toward her, particularly in the kitchen, most times the kids will always come up and they'll like beat me with a stick. I mean, they're like, ah, no, Dad. And so I just I, I do it all the more. It's great. You know, it's 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 funny. I, I love to uh, I love to love to make them feel uncomfortable. It's great. I'll spend the rest of my life doing that probably. Uh, but this morning we're continuing in our series talking about marriage uh, and divorce. And uh, Jesus continues His sermon by pressing deep into our hearts. And, and, and to remind you kind of what the Sermon on the Mount is about, Jesus is pressing the law and His Gospel and His teachings into the hearts of His hearers. The, the context of what they've been hearing as God's people has been distorted truths uh, namely, given by the Pharisees. And so basically, Jesus says something like, you've heard it said that, that we can throw around this covenant of marriage like it doesn't matter and make a mockery out of it. But I tell you, it's way more serious than that. It's Ryan's version. But that's basically what he's saying. And, and you'll see over and over again that, that he'll say things like, you've heard it said, but I tell you, this is one of those sayings that Jesus gives. And here's what I know, as Megan already alluded to, is that this is a, a heavy morning. There's not one person in here who hasn't been affected by relational brokenness and most likely divorce. Some of us grew up with parents uh, that divorced. Some of us have been divorced. Some of us are thinking about divorce. And some of us are afraid to ever get married because we might get divorced. This is an important sermon this morning. It's important to hear what God says. And there's no, there's no easy way for us to make this topic light and cute, so I'm going to take it as it is. Uh, and, and just a, a little bit of a c- confession for me, you know, divorce has been a part of my life since I can remember. You know, I was raised uh, by two broken people trying to find wholeness on their own. And they, couldn't, they couldn't find it, and so divorce is where the relationship uh, ended up. And, and now, since then, God is putting the pieces of our family back together. He's mending the hearts through the Gospel. Not fully, but it's coming. And, 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 and I'm, I declare that to you with great joy because uh, it's a miracle. It's a miracle what God does um, through His Spirit in those situations. And there's almost you know, no unhappiness that touches the depth of emotion as an unhappy marriage. Nothing can touch it. And while I believe that in most cases dissolving a marriage is not the way to go, I do want to preach uh, this sermon with care and sensitivity as I think about the distress that many of you you in this room carry around with you. And so my, my hope is this morning is that the Holy Spirit will first comfort you. He'll comfort you no matter where you're at on this issue, no matter what you've experienced, 
but also the Holy Spirit will convict you with His loving kindness. Uh, my aim is not to add to uh, anyone's distress, but rather that we would experience comfort and conviction. So the big idea of where we're going today is this. The Gospel brings us from a place of brokenness to a place of wholeness. Now, I'll read the Scripture one more time. Now, this, this Scripture comes after Jesus teaches on lust. And so really, you could look at, look at lust and adultery kind of coupled with divorce. That's kind of the way that they read in the Scripture. So I'll read it one more time for you. Jesus says, it was, it was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you, everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So, so why does Jesus bring it up? It seems a little bit out of place. Why does He bring it up like this? Because divorce and lust and adultery are almost always linked together. You know, John Stott says, um, he, he's talking about how Jesus teaches the sermon. He, he, he mentions a couple things. He says the Pharisees were focused on the grounds of divorce. Jesus, show us that we can get divorced. Show us who can get divorced according to the law of Moses. But Jesus was focused on what marriage actually is. The Pharisees called Moses' uh, provision on divorce a command, but Jesus called it a concession due to hardened hearts. And we'll look at that from Matthew 19 in a few minutes. The Pharisees regarded divorce lightly, but Jesus took it so seriously that with only one exception, He called marriage after divorce sexual immorality. So in the, in the day of Moses, here's how it would, it would go. Uh, and you could, I, I don't have time to go here today, but Deuteronomy 24, 1-4 speaks about this. Uh, men in particular were taking uh, their license to divorce their wives way out of control. I mean, it was, it was chaotic. It was out of control. It, it, it was nuts. And, and men would almost get a divorce for any reason that they could think of. And in this day in particular, it would leave the wife and the children at an incredible disadvantage. They would be left to fend for themselves in light of all humanity. They were in a terrible disadvantage. And so what God does is He offers a concession in His mercy to allow some people to get divorced in good conscience because of their situation. He's not suggesting it, but He offers it in His mercy. And so... Uh, the big picture of what Jesus was going after, even as He teaches and expands on what the Law of Moses teaches, is, is, is regarding divorce. And, and it really has more to do with our understanding of our relationship with God than we realize. It has way more to do with that. Because think about it this way. We were born into a place of wholeness in the garden that became destructively perverted by sin. Now, there's far more brokenness in our story and in our relationships than we could ever acknowledge and ever even realize. So we prayed through that this morning. And in a covenantal relationship of marriage, our brokenness will be revealed in ways that we will never, that we've never seen before. Uh, and if you're if you're single and you desire to be married, expect this: you are going to discover things about your spouse that you don't discover, no matter how good the premarital counseling is. And if you're already married, you know this is happening, right? You see this as you get married and, and life throws you different situations. You respond differently. 
And so what I want you, what I, what I want to proclaim to you this morning is really two things. I want to talk first about what marriage is because Jesus seemed to talk a lot about the positivity of what marriage is. Where the Pharisees were focused on the negativity of the divorce, Jesus was focused on what marriage is. And I'm going to break that into two parts. I'm going to look at the macro covenant of marriage, meaning our relationship with God, and the micro covenant of marriage, meaning our relationship with a husband and a wife. Secondly, we're going to look at divorce and the, the biblicality of it uh, in certain situations. So let's, let's delve right in together. Marriage, uh, first point is this, marriage is a covenant, not a contract. Really important to know that. Marriage is a covenant, not a contract. So what's a contract? A contract is when you say something like this, if you do this, then I will do this. This is the way that the world operates, okay? This is the way that your mortgage company operates, right? This is the way the world operates. If you do this, I will do this. And sadly, this is what we bring into our marriages. This is what we bring into our relationships, whether it's with a spouse or another person, and ultimately our relationship with God. It, or, and, and typically with God, it looks like this. If I do this, then you do this for me. And uh, we are born thinking that, that this relationship with God is a contract, meaning that God owes us something. And because of this, this is how we uh, approach marriage. You know, you clean the dishes and I mow the lawn. Uh, you pay the mortgage and I'll pay the electric bill. You take care of the kids and I'll put food on the table. And this plays out over and over and over again. It's a, it's a code of ethics that we develop to make marriage work. And most times, here's the sad part, the grace of God is nowhere to be found in it. That's how you know you have a contractual agreement. When the grace of God is nowhere to be found in your relationship with your spouse. Now, when, when the contractual obligations that we've set for our marriage are not met, we get into trouble. And so we end up trying to fake it or we are just known and we, we, we bail on the thing altogether. We bail in the moment. But this isn't how we relate to God. Praise God it's not. The only way that, that you and I can relate to God is through this word covenant. And a covenant is this. That we have a God that comes and He fulfills the obligations of the covenant when we can't. We can't obey. The covenant in the garden was, if you obey, then you will live. Well, we blew that pretty quick, right? We couldn't obey, so we couldn't live. So God sends a mediator, His Son Jesus, to keep the covenant for us so that we can be in relationship with God and receive eternal life. That's the whole essence of the Gospel. And the first thing that we, that we have to understand about our relationship with, with God is, is this. In Christ, we're all married. And I don't say this to make a mockery if you're single, but I really want you to hear this. If you are single, you are married to Christ. You have the opportunity to experience the greatest marriage of all time of Christ and His church. That's the, mar that's the macro marriage. That's it. Marriages between husbands and wives are micro. They're little mirrors of that relationship. So in Christ, we're all Married, the, the deepest idea of marriage that we could ever have doesn't come from who we live with or who we're married to. It comes from our relationship with God. And, and God and His people were intended to live in this deep relational 
covenant with one another. And, uh, and what we realize as we look at the Scriptures is that we've all committed adultery against God. I know that sounds like strong language, but I want to take you to a place in the Scriptures to prove to you that this is how God sees it. If you have a Bible, open to Hosea chapter 1. Now, Hosea is, is a book written by the prophet Hosea, um, who was a prophet to the northern kingdom. And Hosea, God, God asked Hosea, Hosea to, to marry, and listen to me here, a prostitute so that he will know how it feels to be cheated on by God's people. So he'll know what God feels when we are unfaithful to our relationship with our Father in heaven. So I want to read a couple of sections from Hosea 1 and 2 to give you a little bit of a, an understanding of how God sees this. And what I want you to listen for is obviously how we blow it, but also how God redeems it. Listen for the word covenant. Listen for, listen for God's grace being threaded throughout this whole thing. So Hosea chapter 1, uh, verses 2 and 3, and then we'll go down to chapter 2 after that. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, go take for yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. Pretty strong language, isn't it? So he went and he took Gomer, the daughter of Diblon, and she conceived and bore him a son. And then it goes on to talk about all the children that are born to him and how all their names are, are very unique names because they're, God calls him to name them names like, you know, not faithful and, and things like that so he'll know the depth of what it feels. But then Hosea chapter 2 kind of takes a turn. He says this in verses 13 through 20. And I will punish her for the feast days of the Baals when she burned offerings to them and adorned herself with ring and jewelry and went after her lovers and forgot me, declares the Lord. So he's talking about how Israel would, would chase after false gods and this false god was Baal. And he kind of makes a turn. He says, therefore, behold, here's what I'm going to do for Israel because she's cheated on me. I'm going to divorce her. No, not at all. Listen to this. I will allure her to allure her to... That's not a word we use often. To mysteriously be attracted to something. I will allure her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her vineyards and make the, the valley of Accor a door of hope. Now, don't just read over valley of Accor. Do you know what the valley of Accor is? In Joshua chapter 7, there's this instance where Achan steals after a conquest. An enemy of Israel, they, 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 they have a conquest, they defeat the enemy, and he steals some of the plunder. He's not supposed to. And God told him not to do that. And there's the saddest scenes in all of the Bible. This family is placed outside of the camp and they're stoned for their sin. This is the gravity of what unfaithfulness to God deserves. So when, when Hosea writes that the valley of Accor would be a door of hope, could you imagine what the people of Israel must have heard the worst page, one of the worst pages in the narrative of our story is going to be redeemed, God? You're going to do that for us? We read on. 
And there she shall answer as in the days of her youth, as at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. And in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. And no longer will you call me my Baal. For I will remove the names of the Baals from her mouth and she shall and, and she'll be remembered by name no more. And I will take and make for them a covenant on that day with the beast of the field and the birds of the heavens and the creeping things of the ground. And I will abolish the bow and the sword and the war from the land and I will make you lie down in safety. Listen to this. And I will betroth you to Me forever. I will betroth you to Me in righteousness and in justice and in steadfast love and mercy. God is saying that what you cannot do in your relationship with Him, He will do for you. He will do it for you. He will betroth us to Him forever. Church, that's really good news this morning. That, that in our infidelity against the God of heaven, that God would, would forgive, and, and not forgive and just kind of like shove it aside, but actually have the blood of His Son shed to cover the sins of His people so that we could be His beloved forever. And He redeems the worst days of our story through the blood of His Son, Jesus. Let me ask you this. Do you believe that God can redeem the worst days and parts of your pilgrimage toward Him by the blood of His Son? Do you believe that this morning? Or are you constantly haunted by the sins of your past and the sins that have been committed against you, perpetrated against you, are you constantly haunted by those? Do you believe that God can redeem? Do you believe that God can betroth us to Himself forever? We will always, church, have a tendency to run around on God. It is in our flesh. It is in our sinful nature. And the reality is is that we were made for wholeness with God through a covenant relationship of love and power that is beyond anything that you've ever experienced before. And so, the question that we ask ourselves as we look at the micro-marriage is this, how is your life working out? Are you living in a dependent place upon the blood of Jesus Christ to keep you in good standing between your Father in Heaven through His love and mercy and justice and care? Or are you in a place right now where there's a particular area of your life where you are seeking wholeness apart from the Gospel? Maybe it is sexual immorality. Maybe you are seeking wholeness apart from the bounds that God has given you. There's no way we can be satisfied because we're living outside of the bounds of our covenant with God. Now God will forgive that, but we have to repent and come back to this relationship with Him, this covenant with him. Now let's, let's turn and kind of look at the micro covenant that we have uh, in marriages. Uh, this is a microcosm of the covenant that we have with God in Christ that a man and a woman are able to enter into covenant with one another because of the covenant that they have uh, with God. And here's the, here's the beauty of any marriage, okay? The beauty of any marriage is that God has mysteriously joined two people together that were once miserable sinners looking for the path to wholeness, their pilgrimage toward God together. 
And when you enter into that relationship with a contract, you're constantly fruit inspecting your spouse, trying to see if they can line up to what they said they do. But when you see it as a pilgrimage together, a partnership together, you all of a sudden have this grace that comes from God because God has this grace for you. And you realize that your brokenness just plays itself out in different ways. And that God is redeeming both of you in the same way, even though you sin very differently. This is the beauty of what God does in marriage. And we see that we're sojourners together and we're seeking to be made whole. Sometimes we just try to find our path to wholeness in different ways. And God redeems this in a beautiful way. I want, I want, to, I want to turn and I want to look at Matthew 19 now. I want to look at verses 3-9. through nine. If you've got a Bible, you can turn over there. This is where Jesus expands His teaching on marriage and divorce a, a little bit more. He makes a little bit more expansive declaration here than He does in Matthew 5. And He says this, And Pharisees came up to Him and tested Him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And He answers, Have you not read that He who created them from the beginning made them male and female? Of course they'd read that. And then he said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Of course they had read that. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. So he's reminding them of the law that they agree to, right? And then he goes on to speak a little bit uh, negatively about the concession for divorce. But I want to focus positively on what Jesus affirms marriage is. And we're going to look at this in the next point, the rest of Matthew 19. Jesus says He made them male and female to hold fast to one another. So Jesus says that marriage is, is just like our relationship with God. It's an exclusive relationship. That any other partner into the mix would make the relationship impure. And so, and so He makes them male and female and it's an exclusive relationship. He says, what God has, he also says it's a permanent relationship. He says, what God has joined together, let no man separate. So, how can you and I experience a relationship with someone else that's exclusive and permanent? How can we do that? After all, the world says you only live once, keep your options open. And many people live this way. And the messages that you're receiving day in, day out say this to you. This is a very uncommon message that Jesus teaches to us this morning. And it seems like God is saying, commit yourself for eternity to one another like God has to us and don't let the enemy destroy that. And there will be times in your marriage where He will seek to destroy it and He will almost destroy it. But the Gospel can hold it together. And how can He do that? Well, let's look at Malachi 2 just real quick here. Malachi mentioned something about marriage uh, that is very interesting to me and very helpful for our understanding of what marriage is. Now, a lot of times we think about Malachi and we think about how Malachi prophesies for God and he says that God hates divorce and he does, but he also says some other beautiful things about what marriage is. And he says this in Matthew, or I'm sorry, Malachi 2, 14 and 15. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Listen to this. Did He not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? What's He saying there? 
He's saying that when two of God's people get married, there's a third person always involved. The Holy Spirit, right? He's, he's, he's saying that in any marriage, any biblical marriage, that the Holy Spirit is the glue that makes the two one. That's just, it's impossible for eHarmony or any other you know, service that could try to make people compatible, absolutely compatible. Those are great services to, to access, I'm sure, but the Holy Spirit is the glue that holds you together. The Holy Spirit is the one that makes the two become one. He's saying that marriage is an extension of your relationship to Christ. And if you, if you, if you have a relationship with Jesus, that's what holds you together. And, and if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, that your spouse will become the source of your idolatry. That you will expect them to be God for you. Um... And this is why Paul teaches um, that, it, that it's frankly better to be single. He says, but if you're burning with passion, get married. And that was me. I'm burning with passion, right? You've got to get married, right? So he, he also gives this danger in 1 Corinthians 6 and 7 of being unequally yoked. And what, what he's speaking of here is that there's a danger in getting married to someone who does not have the same foundation of faith, namely the power of the Holy Spirit working in their lives. Because marriage cannot work apart from God making you one. It, it, it can't happen. You might be able to stay married, but you're not experiencing the depth of what marriage is. But you know, Paul goes on to say that if you're married to an unbeliever, don't get divorced. Because they might become a believer through your relationship with God. It's interesting what he says there. It's, it's kind of similar to how we look at our children. You know, kids are, you know, they grow up in the flesh and worldly, worldliness of their sin. And somehow the influence of the parents' faith affects the children mysteriously. It's the same way if you're in here today and you're married to someone who's not a believer. God says that that's a tough row to hoe, but that it's possible for him to work through your faithfulness to Him. It's a heavy sermon, right? Let's look at the second part. Divorce is a concession granted by God's mercy toward hard hearts in extreme situations. That's carefully worded there. So let's look at the negative sides of what Jesus says in Matthew 19. Here. We've talked about the positive side, about how it's exclusive and permanent. That's what Jesus says marriage is because that's what our relationship with Him is. It's exclusive and it's permanent. He says, because of the hardness of your heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. So he says, basically, you can't just go off and get divorced because you're not liking how things are playing out. And in the Bible, we see really two biblical grounds for divorce. Jesus shares one of them here where He says uh, that if there's been sexual immorality, and sexual immorality is kind of a junk drawer term for sexual sin, but really the clarity is found in the idea of adultery, uh, a relationship outside of the marriage. He says if that happens, you, you could divorce. Not that you should, but you could if things got so tough and your, the hearts were so hard that there couldn't be reconciliation in place. 
But by God's grace, we've seen many miraculous stories in this church and other churches that we've been in where God has worked miracles in those moments. And He's, he's done beautiful things through those marriages. The Apostle Paul tacks on another biblical ground for divorce when he talks about, it's in 1 Corinthians 6 and 7, we don't have a lot of time to go there today, but when he talks about uh, desertion of an unbelieving spouse. So if you had a spouse that was an unbeliever and they deserted you and left you, that's a little bit subjective, but he says there is a grounds for divorce there if that were to happen to you. Now in any of these situations, church, I, I, this isn't in my notes, but I feel compelled to say this. In any of these situations, if you get into a place where your marriage is on the rocks and the divorce word is being thrown around, I implore you, I beg you, I beg you to invite the elders of this church into your life. Please. For the sake of the Gospel, for the sake of your marriage, for the sake of the church, for the sake of the witness of the church, pull every straw that you can and beg God to bring reconciliation and repentance and newness and freshness into your marriage. And and that's what New City Church exists for. To shepherd you not only in your good moments, but in your in your moments that aren't so good. So, you know, the, the challenge for us all here is not to think about divorce in a way that seeks to find a way out, but rather to think about marriage in a way that seeks to find God. So, what would it look like in your marriages instead of living under a microscope and putting your spouse under a microscope to live up to a certain set of standards, to love one another in such a way because you've been loved by God, that there is a freedom to sojourn together even though we're going to stumble at times. Jesus says that divorce was put in place in God's mercy because sometimes the hearts are so hard that the grace of God doesn't melt them as quickly as they need to be melted. Jesus desires for our marriages to be the instrument, one of the instruments of our sanctification as we look at one another as a mirror of God's grace and God's mercy and we sojourn together in this. Marriage isn't easy and it's, it's, it's one of the most clear pictures of the Gospel we have in everyday life. Death to self and grace to one another. Gary Thomas says this in his books, in his book Sacred Marriage. He says, What if God didn't design marriage to be easier? What if God had an end in mind that went beyond our happiness, our comfort, our desire to be infatuated and happy as if the world were a perfect place? What if God designed marriage to make us holy more than to make us happy? I think this is what God wants to do in our midst. And I think it's a beautiful thing that we get to experience because He who holds the world in the palm of His hand and spoke us into existence is more committed to your marriage than you could ever be. And His desire is to make you whole and He will do that through your marriage. And so I just want to, have, I want to give a couple words of encouragement as I close this out here. If you're married in here, I want to encourage you to receive and to give full grace for past sins 
that may have even led to divorce or the potential for divorce. Receive and give that grace that you've been given by your Father in Heaven through the work of His Son. Also, look to God for a better marriage together more than you look to one another. You know, there's that old, it's kind of old school triangle that talks about, you know, you know, the more that you, oh, there we go, yeah. So, uh, husband and wife, you know, the, the more that you move toward God, the Holy Spirit, the more that you will find yourself more compatible. Um, and I think this is true. What, what's it look like to move toward God together? And all of a sudden, you see the differences that you thought were dividing you become, in the grand scheme of things, minor compared to uh, what the Holy Spirit does. If you're single in here, understand that you uh, are already married to Jesus. And that's not a cop-out for you. Uh, that's not a cop-out for us to say, oh yeah, you're, you know, you're married in Christ, so get on with your life. That's not what we're saying here. What we're saying is this, is, is that we... Married folks that are a part of New City Church, we value you deeply. We prayed for you to be a part of this church because the way that you mirror and exemplify Christ is beautiful and profound and this church wouldn't be the same without you. Some of you God will call to be single for the rest of your lives. And, and while married folks in this church may not always remind you of how deeply loved and cherished you are, I just want to say today that you are. And you're doing a remarkable thing if that is your call. Those of you that desire to be married that are not yet married, know that the cultivation of your intimacy with Christ right now will profoundly affect the marriage that you are in in the future. More than anything else, that you do. And, and, and your future spouse will reap the dividends of that cultivation today. If you're divorced, even though you've had terrible brokenness, terrible, egregious sin happen in relationships, I want you to hear this more than anything else. God has not divorced Himself from you. You have, not commit, you have not committed the unforgivable sin. The unforgivable sin is unbelief. You're, you are not blackballed. You are not, you are not outside of the, the covenant family. You're very much welcome here and cherished and loved here. And this church doesn't see you any differently. You need to know that today. And that we know that, that sometimes you may be you may be tempted to, to, to put your defenses up, to wall up a bit because you've been hurt in the past, that our prayer is that the Holy Spirit will over time lower those walls so that you can experience once again what it's like to be in a covenant family together. That's my prayer for you. If you are widowed, um, I want you to know this, that we, we don't understand what it's like, I don't understand what it's like to have someone that you deeply love, that you've been in a covenant relationship with, taken from you all of a sudden, and half of you is gone. We don't understand what that's like. And no amount of words that we could ever offer to you would make up for that. But New City Church values you and seeks to walk with you in this in all of life. And you need to know that you have so much to offer this covenant community. That your call to widowhood in this season of your life is extremely valuable to the covenant family. That's what you need to know, church.
Um, I know this has been a heavy morning. It's been something we need to talk about. Uh, but I'm confident that Jesus will bless His Word this morning and encourage our hearts. Let's pray together. Father, we, we come to You and we don't take Your words lightly. And um, God, these are extremely just counter-cultural words. And Your love is so much more countercultural. It's so free. It's so rich. It's so deep. So I pray, God, that we would be impacted deeply this morning by the reality that when you had the chance to get out of a relationship. So Lord, we, we come to You this morning thankful for You. What I pray is, Megan prayed earlier, that the, the, that the wounds of our friends and family in this room would be bound up tightly in Jesus this morning. And it's in His name that we pray. Amen.